Good morning. If you'd like to open your Bibles up to the book of Matthew, we'll be reading in just a, a few short moments from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, as we continue our look into the parables of Jesus, <clears throat> as you're doing that, take your time to turn there, I'd like to say how thankful I am for each and every one of you who is here with us this morning, who have made the decision on a, a cold day and, and just... You look outside and you just don't get the idea of just this real, real beautiful, wonderful day. It's a day when normally I see that, I go, I don't want to get out of bed. Um, but nonetheless, you have chosen the better thing today, to come together to serve God, to come together and sing praises to Him. I'm thankful for those songs that were led, the prayers that have been led, and our, our partaking of the Lord's Supper, remembering the death of our, of our Savior, remembering the life that He lived, and remembering His coming again. And as we continue to remember Him, I want to spend some time remembering His words. As we've mentioned already in these studies, the parables were a way in which Jesus spoke at a time when His reception level was not at its highest. He would speak to the people and some would turn their hearts away from Him. Some of them uh, would, would reject the things that He said. Some of them would, would look for ways to accuse Him or to trick Him. And, and eventually led to them wanting to find ways to kill him. And so at that time, he began to speak in parables. He began to speak in ways in which those who wanted to learn would ask questions. Those who wanted to know from him would come to him, and those who didn't, well, they would just go on, go on their way. Uh, and in that time, we also noticed that many of these parables revolve around the theme of the kingdom of heaven. And we looked at that last week, the different levels in which that includes the, the reign of God as the spiritual kingdom that is being established, manifested in the church, culminated in heaven. We're looking forward to that day. And in this first parable that I really want to dig into, uh, Jesus begins to speak in such a way as to set up many of the remaining parables. I want to start talking about the parable of the soil. You can read this in Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in verse 3, sometimes this is called the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed, or the parable of the four soils. And Jesus uses it to illustrate that there are different reactions to the preaching of the gospel. There were different reactions in his day, there are different reactions in our day today. It's recorded here in Matthew 13, but also in Mark chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 8. So let's read this, uh, this account in Matthew together first. Verse 3, He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some 30, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now one of the things that's, that's really interesting to me about this parable is it's one of the very few parables where Jesus doesn't leave it to us to interpretate it. He doesn't leave it to us to have an explanation for it. In fact, he, he goes ahead and He gives that starting in verse 18 of the same chapter. He says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns, it's he who hears the word and cares of the uh, excuse me, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, after giving this, we also see in Mark chapter 4, the, the, prior to giving this explanation, he, he makes this statement to the, uh, the apostles. Mark chapter 4, verse 13, when they, or to his disciples, when they don't understand it, he says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? He, he gives them this explanation because they didn't understand it. And Jesus, I believe, is making a connection here to many of the other parables that he's going to tell, that they revolve around this same concepts that he's explaining here. The value of this parable is made clear through Jesus' explanation. By it, we can see ourselves as we really are in regards to our response to, the, to His Word in our lives. And so I'd like to, to invite you to do that with me this morning, to look at this parable and treat it kind of like a, like a test for your lives. How do I relate to the story that Jesus is telling in the parable of the soils? The first thing that we need to notice, he doesn't start off diving right into the soils. He starts by diving into some other characters in this account. The first one being the sower. Matthew 13, verse 37, in another parable, he describes who the sower is. He says, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. It would seem that in, in this account, in this parable, Jesus is probably speaking in context about Himself first. When He speaks about the sower who sows the good seed, He's probably probably speaking about Himself coming to the world, preaching the gospel of this kingdom that is now at hand. And yet, anyone, I believe it would be fair to say, anyone who proclaims that same message today is likened to that sower is likened unto the Son of Man that came to preach the message of the kingdom. Whenever someone comes today saying the, 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 the kingdom has come and, and proclaiming the way in which we enter into that kingdom and the, the hope that comes from the kingdom, they are likened unto this sower. And then speaking of that, the seed. The seed is described in Matthew 13, verse 19 as the word of the kingdom. The gospel of Christ. The message of hope. That came into at a, at a time when, as Romans 5 describes us as, as enemies, came at a time when we were not following God, came at a time where mankind had drifted so far away from, from where God had at one time blessed them. You know, when we go through the Old Testament, we're doing this in the, in the young kids' class right now, we see that God had given mankind everything that He had promised. He'd given them the kingdom. He had given them a great nation. He was going through that lineage to bring about a blessing that was going to bless the whole world. And at that time, mankind chose to follow other gods. Mankind chose to follow their own desires, to follow the things that make for for the riches in this life. We see that throughout the life of the Israelites, throughout the kingdoms, whether it be the northern or the southern kingdom. And by the time we get to the day of Jesus, and they have not only been punished for that taken into captivity, but they're, just, they're, not even, they're a shell of what they used to be. And yet Jesus comes at that time proclaiming a message of hope. Proclaiming a way to be entered into this true kingdom. The spiritual kingdom that will never be defeated. That is that seed that He proclaims. That is the seed that still is proclaimed today. 
And then the response to that seed is where we start getting into these soils. The first one that he mentions is the wayside soil. When we think of that idea of wayside, it's kind of this idea of the pathway. Whenever, whenever you were, when you'd sow your fields, you would go out and you would scatter your seed. You don't walk through the middle of your field. That's, that's a concept that's even true today. When you plant a garden and you maybe make your rows in your garden, you leave yourself a place to walk through that so you're not trampling all over your seed because <coughs> where you walk, the soil becomes packed down. If you have a dog or know someone who has a dog, especially if that dog stays outside, you understand this concept very well because you have parts of your grass that will not grow grass. There is a pathway in our backyard where our dog runs from gate to gate to see what's in the front yard. And there is no grass that's going to grow there. Whenever you see a, a, maybe a, a city park or somewhere where tra foot traffic commonly cuts through, and as people trod that same path over and over again, the ground is compacted and made hard so that seed cannot penetrate it. It cannot grow anything in that area. That's, the, what, that's what he's describing here. This wayside uh, soil. And when the seed fell on that soil, he said those, uh, he likened it to those who hear and do not understand. Now, the reason they do not understand seems to be made, made more clear in, in that description of them. They have hard hearts. Their hearts are compacted. Their hearts are, are, are determined not to allow the seed of the gospel to enter in. There are many in Jesus' day that were like that. When He came proclaiming this message, when He came telling them that the Son of Man, the, 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 the Son of God had come into the world, they said, I am not going to accept that message. I am not going to accept that you are who you say you are. I'm not going to accept that you're the, the promised blessing from the line of David. I'm not going to accept that you've come to bring hope into our world and joy into our lives. I'm not going to accept that. You're a blasphemer. You're, you're, you're worthy of death. That was how that was, that was visually seen in the, in the life of Christ. That's still seen in life today. When we make our mind up that the seed, the Word of God, the preaching of the hope and the Gospel of Jesus Christ comes into our life, maybe we don't say, I'm not going to believe that. Maybe we don't say, that's, that's not for me. You, you can say that all you want to, but I'm not going to listen to it. But we might say, you know, I really like the things that are going on in my life. I really like the things that make me feel good. I really like the things that, that I enjoy doing. And there's parts of that 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 tell me I can't do those things anymore. And I don't like that. So I'm just going to ignore those parts. I'm not going to listen to those parts. And that's that hardening of our heart. And the seed, the Word of God, cannot penetrate it. And what He tells us in the, in the explanation to this in, in Matthew 13 is that that is a playground for Satan. That's where Satan loves to work. He says in verse 19, or in verse 20, those who, no, excuse me, verse 19, uh, those who uh, heard the word of the kingdom and did not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. In Luke chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 8 and verse 12, Luke describes him as the, the wicked one as the devil. The devil is the one that is snatching that, that seed away from the hard heart that is, that is not allowing it to enter in. He's looking for that opportunity. That makes his job so much easier. If we are already hardening our hearts where that seed can't penetrate into our lives, it makes it so much easier for Satan to say, you don't need to hear that. 
You keep doing the things you want to do. You keep, you keep thinking the things you want to think. You keep following the way that you want to follow. And Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He describes this as being blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, could shine on them. He uses different imagery. He switches from a seed to a light, but he's making the same point. The gospel, the seed, the word of God was, is, is not entering into their life to shine on them because they have been blinded. It has been veiled from their vision by Satan. And the only power that he has to do that comes from our hard hearts when we refuse to let the soil, to, to be a type of soil that allows the seed to enter in and to work. The next soil that he talks about is this stony or, or rocky soil. And he uses it to describe one who hears the word and immediately, <coughs> immediately responds with joy. Verse 20, he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. There's this emotion that is described there. And I want us to be very clear here. Jesus is not condemning emotion. There needs to be emotion. When we hear a message that, that, that tells us the truth about our lives, we were lost. We had no hope. We were dead. We were dying. We were bound eternally for a punishment away from God until Christ came into the world and gave us hope. He gave us a chance to be eternally with Him in heaven. That should promote an emotion in our lives. That should promote joy in our hearts. That should promote sorrow for the, for the things that we have done that have been opposed to that. There needs to be emotional response to the seed, to the preaching of the Gospel of Christ. And yet, <clears throat> if we read on, he describes them as having an emotional response but having no root. No root which will endure only for a while until tribulation or persecution arises and then it withers. What that tells me is while we need to have an emotional response, Emotional responses don't prepare us for hardships. An emotional response to the preaching of the Gospel of Christ is important, but it will not prepare us to stand firm. It will not anchor us because emotions fade. We may not have these emotions forever. They might grow dull over time. And the constant renewal of studying His Word of learning about what He has done again and again and, and reminding ourselves over and over of the, the, the wonders and the majesty of God helps us to be rooted. Maybe you've seen this. I, every now and then it, it, it blows my mind. Our driveway has these little compression cracks, I think is what they're called, these reliefs cut in so that in the wintertime when everything's freezing, the concrete's not supposed to crack and split. And every spring, I take a pressure washer and I spray everything out of that crack and there's nothing left in it but concrete and yet, dandelions grow in it. And I have no idea how. And I don't care how many times I've sprayed this thing with, with weed killer, maybe I'm, it's miracle grow for dandelions, I don't know, but they grow in this. They have no root. And it doesn't take much to pluck them out 
It doesn't take much for the sun to come up, bake them off, and they're, they're, they're gone after a couple of weeks. They, they aren't perennial. They don't, they're not going to come back annually, I should say. Um, but yet, they grow for a little while, and then they're gone. We don't need to be like these dandelions. Sometimes we, we crop up in the, in the hardest of places. Our lives are filled with, with stony, rocky soil. And he's going to describe what that is here, here in a moment. But when that, when that happens, if we can't dig down past that, if we can't dig down and get our roots planted in Him, we don't have a hope of lasting whenever trouble arises, whenever, whenever hardships come upon us. And, and again, if this is where we are, we're still living in Satan's wheelhouse. We're still living in a place where he says, I'm going to keep piling these stones on. I'm going to keep making this more and more difficult. And if I can do it, if I can make this ground hard enough, again, that plant's not going to grow. It's eventually going to wither. It's going to die. And so he moves on from the, from the, soil, the, the stony soil. Having talked about those that respond emotionally but never dig into the gospel, never dig into the word of God. And he goes to this third soil, the thorny soil. That, that which was sown among the thorns. And he talks about a couple of things that that might represent. He said it's those who hear the Word, but their ability to bear fruit is choked. Matthew 13.22 talks about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. But in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, he talks about the pleasures of life. Adds that in turn to this description. And it's these cares of the world that cause us to be unfruitful. And yet, once again, we, we, we see Jesus is using, using known examples to describe unknown circumstances. He's using the physical to describe the spiritual. And we can understand very well how thorns and weeds and, and things can suck the life from a plant so that it doesn't, it doesn't produce. I'm sure anyone who has grown a tomato plant in a garden, they have seen where if you don't constantly pull those weeds out and, and try and take care and nourish that ground, you're going to get fruit. You're going to grow tomatoes. But instead of growing those big, plump, big boy, juicy tomatoes, you start getting things that look a little bit more like cherry tomatoes. And they're wrinkly and they're, they're, not, as, they're not as good. They're not as flavorful. It's not as good a fruit. It's still producing fruit, but it's not much fruit. It's not good fruit. And eventually, those weeds and those thorns are going to choke that plant out enough that it could even get to a point where it's beyond repair. You might, you might neglect this for a long time and then you come back and it's just overrun and you're, you're trying to pull all the weeds out and you're damaging the root system to the plant. Jesus describes a similar circumstance which says that whenever we are like that soil, growing a, a plant growing amongst the thorns and the weeds, we can be choked out and we might produce fruit, but it's not going to be much. And it's not going to be a good fruit. And he talks about how this can happen. How the, the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of life can do this. And in Luke chapter 21, uh, Luke 21 verses 34 and 36, listen to what he says there about the cares of the world. He says, Take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day came, uh, come on you unexpectedly. 
For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You know, it's interesting to me that this passage, we really get hung up on those first two parts of this passage. Carousing and drunkenness. It doesn't take a lot of searching the Scripture to know that drunkenness is not something that God calls His people to be. He calls them out of drunkenness. Out of of being intoxicated. And carousing is that idea of wild and, and riotous parties. These aren't things that describe children of God. And we like to focus on those things because they seem to be hot topic issues. But we oftentimes overlook that second one. The cares of this life. The cares of the world. He ranks them right up there with that. Because the problem is all of those do the same thing. They distract us. And they make us unprepared for the coming of God. If we are wringing our hands over the things of this world, our heart's not in the right place. Our mind is not focusing on the right thing. If we're, if we're terrified and, and tore up because, because we might, we, we, something might happen to our vehicle, a hailstorm might, might tear up our house, if things of this physical life are the focus of our, of our ideas, then our hearts and our minds aren't thinking the right place. Jesus tells us is those things are going to be burned up. They're not going to last. They're not going with you into eternity. Paul tells the, uh, in the Colossian letter, set your mind on things above. Things above this physical life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul continues the same idea that Jesus speaks about when he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. He says, verse Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I think we, gotta be, we have to pay attention to what Paul says here because it's a problem that we face. We currently face every day in our lives the deceitfulness, the lies of riches. How do riches, how does wealth lie to us? It tells us that we have what we need. We don't need to rely on anything else. You know, you look at the description of the Israelites, especially that second generation that, is, that is came through the wilderness for these 30, 40 years, and, and they have seen all those who refuse to trust in God and enter into the land as they have died off. And they're walking around with the tabernacle. They're walking around with pieces of fabric as the, how, the temple, the, the, the place of God to dwell. This isn't a rich people at this time. They, they have quite a bit. They, they came off pretty well leaving Egypt, but of a no means we, means we would describe them rich. They're nomads. And yet they trusted in God. They enter into the land. They, they begin to conquer the land. And they are being blessed. But what happens is they conquer that land and now they have set a king over them, Saul and then David, and the kingdom is expanding and, and they're, they're becoming a nation that is rich, that is wealthy. Solomon build, builds the temple and it's, it's described as, as so glorious that, that even as after it was ransacked in, in, uh, by Babylon, so they couldn't even weigh all the bronze. All the bronze that they used, they said they don't even have a, a way to weigh all this. It is a majestic looking temple. And yet, it's at this time that they begin to go, look at all of the power we have. Look at our chariots. Look at what we have done. Look at how rich and powerful a nation we are. And they begin to turn away from God. 
That's the deceitfulness. That's the lie of riches. And notice, he doesn't, he doesn't tell Timothy that those who are wealthy are, are in sin. He says those who have a love of money, those who are looking for this riches is what is going to, 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 to strengthen them, what is going to get them through what they're going to rely upon. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. That leads you into temptation. A temptation that says, I've got what I need. And so in chapter 6, verse 17, he said, command those who are rich in this prison age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Again, the thorny soil, the riches of, life, of our life, it's deceitful. It tricks. It, 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 it causes us to think that we are better off than we are. And he says the response to that, when you, when you see that in your life, is to trust in God. To not become haughty and arrogant and proud of what you have, but to remember where it came from. And not allow that soil that you're living in to become thorny. In Luke chapter 8, he also talks about the, uh, the, the pleasures of life. And I want to read Galatians, where Paul talks about this as well. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And in chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. We might say, Do not be tricked. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. <clears throat> Therefore, as, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Again, Paul is making this point. Similar to the point Jesus was making. And Jesus made in Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 8. That the pleasures of this life, they can choke out the seed, the, king, the, the preaching of the kingdom of God. And again, Satan loves to work in this way. If you're going to follow this, if you're going to do what Jesus said, you, you, gotta, you can't have love. You can't have it. You can't enjoy the, the, the love that you have with that person. If you're going to follow the, 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 the kingdom of God and if you're going to follow this preaching, you can't have those good feelings that come with, with what you're doing, with, with whether it be drunkenness or, or drugs or, or embezzling and having money and being rich. You can't have those things. That's what he's saying. That's what Satan puts in our ears over and over again. But the truth is, he's tricking us. Because we can have love and we can be rich and we can have these good feelings. But it comes through following God. And putting Him first. And so he says, don't let that thorny soil, which is really just Satan whispering in your ear, don't let it distract you from the true message, which is the hope of the kingdom of God. And so finally he says, don't be like these soils. Be like the good soil. It is those who hear and understand the Word and bear fruit. We need to see that he makes, he makes three connections there. It's not just that they hear and understand it. They hear and understand it and they bear fruit. He's making a connection in this passage uh, between these things. And Luke adds in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, that they hear the word with a noble and good heart. That noble and good heart is the same way that the Bereans were described. Or maybe fair-minded is another way that they were described. In a way that they received the Word of God with all readiness. When Paul came preaching this message to the kingdom of God, they were searching the Scriptures. Not... Not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were searching the Old Testament. 
They were reading the prophecies. They were reading what God has said in the past, saying they're connecting the dots. This is what Paul is saying, and this is how it's true to the promises that God has made. And because of that, they were growing all the more stronger. And they were understanding the message. Now, we need to make sure that we understand what that means when it says to understand the message. The other day we were driving, and I don't remember what started this conversation. I think it was a video that we watched. And, and Madden was talking about how, well, that happened when I was little and I wasn't very smart then. And I said, why did you think you weren't smart? And he said, because I didn't know 2 plus 2 equaled 4. I was like, oh, well, we had to have a conversation because that thought really concerned me. See, that's a thought that we have oftentimes. I'm smart if I have knowledge in my head. He said, I didn't have that knowledge of 2 plus 2 equals 4, so that means I wasn't smart. He said, smart is not about the amount of knowledge that you have in your head. Smart is the way you use the knowledge that you have in your head. I know plenty of people that, that just have tons of knowledge. Uh, we, we have a, a, a family friend who is just one of, the smartest, one of the most knowledgeable people that I know. And yet that person has done some pretty dumb things. and said some pretty dumb things. And that's not, a, that's not a, an attack on their, on their knowledge. That's a realization of their character. Smart is about the way we use our knowledge. The knowledge that we have. And Jesus is saying, good soil is smart soil. Soil that hears the Word of God, that has a knowledge of the Word of God, and understands it. When they understand it, that makes them more likely to bear fruit. When we understand it, we're going to recognize the importance of it. We understand it, we're going to recognize the need for us to do something with it. Instead of just having all of these words memorized and bouncing around in our brains, they're coming out of our mouths. They're coming out of our hands. They're coming out of our feet. You know, that song we sang, be, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little hands what you do. That's not a kid's song. That is a description of our lives. It says that in everything, in word or in deed, I'm proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And that's because I understand the seed. I understand the word of the hope of the gospel. In Colossians chapter 1, we see an example of this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Again, this is our same message over and over again that we're hearing. Because of the gospel, because of the seed that you heard, there is hope laid up for you in heaven, which came to you, verse 6, as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. I like that the, the New American Standard doesn't say you heard and knew. It says you heard and understood. You took the knowledge that comes from learning the Gospel, from learning the truth, the, the Old Testament Scriptures that, that prophesy about it, the New Testament Scriptures that speak of its fulfillment and speak of its culmination in the day of, of judgment and in eternity. You know those things. You understand them, the importance of them, the aspect in which they, they affect your lives. And then you do those things. And you bear fruit. And I want to tell you, there's different types of fruit. We read that we think bear fruit. Well, we must be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And absolutely, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And over in Galatians chapter 5, 22-23, speaks about that as opposed to, to sowing to the flesh. We sow to the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. Romans chapter 1, verse 13, he talks about winning souls to Christ. That's a fruit that comes from knowing the Word and then applying the Word in our lives. Romans 6, 23 talks about practical holiness. 
living a holy life in this, in this world. That's another fruit. Romans 15.27 talks about sharing our material things. Colossians 1.10 talks about good works. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 talks about the fruit of our lips. Praise and thanksgiving. One thing that we see when we read about the good soil is that we need to be bearing fruit, but every one of us is going to be bearing fruit differently. He says some are going to bear it a hundredfold, some are going to bear it 60-fold, and some are going to bear it 30. And so we should never look at ourselves and say, well, look how much fruit I'm bearing as opposed to that person. That person is not as spiritual as me. That's the problem with the Corinthians. That's exactly what was going on in the Corinthian letter. They were becoming arrogant. They were dividing one another over this preacher, that teacher. They're better than this one. I've got gifts. You don't have gifts. I have money. You don't have money. Everything was, it was a competition with them. Jesus is saying, no, if you're in this good soil and you're bearing fruit, there's going to be some of you that bear a lot of fruit. There's going to be some of you that bear less. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, we see that no matter how much fruit we're bearing, it needs to have a focus. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. He says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That good soil is a soil that hears understands, and is bearing fruit. But it's bearing fruit that doesn't build up the plant. It's bearing fruit that builds up God. That glorifies God. That shows God in this present life as the, as the sustainer of all things. The giver of all good and perfect gifts. All and in all. He is the sovereign King. And so with this explanation that Jesus provides we should really not have a big problem understanding the parable of the sower. It's a spiritual truth that Jesus was teaching regarding reactions to the gospel message. But understanding it, again, is a little different than making application from it. We have to be smart with this knowledge. And so in seeking to make an application, let's ask this question and then we'll be done. What kind of soil are you? What kind of soil have you been? Have you been like this wayside soil? That is said, there, there are areas in my life that need to change. But I'm not ready to give those up. I'm not ready to make those changes. I tell you, you may not. You may not be wayside soil yet, but you're on your way to that. The longer that we stay with these hard hearts, the easier it is for Satan to just keep picking those opportunities up. Anytime that seed is presented, I'm just going to put that bug in their ear saying, don't you listen to that. Don't you listen to that. It's going to take away the things that you want to do. Don't you listen to that. If we have not yet uh, been obedient to the Gospel message, to the, the seed that the sower was planting, saying, come to the Kingdom. Become a part of the Kingdom. Then we're in the process of still hardening our hearts. And we don't, want to stay in that, we don't want to stay in that long. We are being blinded by Satan. And we need to come out of that. We need to repent. And all that means is we need to turn around. Quit walking in this way in which we please Satan and walk in a way which pleases God. Are we like the stony places? If we are responded to the Gospel at one time, but we have not been grounded in our faith. Maybe we heard the truth of the Gospel and we said, this, I need this. 
This is something that I, I cannot have hope without. And I want this. And we, we come to God and we believe and we are baptized. We are forgiven of our sins. And yet, we never move beyond that. We might be there for years. You know, David Aiken talked about that in our gospel meeting about Christians who are a one-year-old Christian for 50 years. Maybe we never grow. Makes it more and more likely every day that goes by that when a trouble, a trial comes our way, we're not going to hold fast to the rock of Christ. We're going to be ripped up. Our roots completely pulled from the ground and we're going to fall away. Are we like the soil among the thorns? that at one time heard the Gospel, but because of the, the cares of this world, because of the things that go on in this life, the things that, that seem so important, our, our job, our money, our, our hobbies, our, our things, our stuff, our desires, the things that the world makes look fun and good, because of those things we are distracted. We're not focused in on the Kingdom and on Christ. Again, we need to repent. Or are we like the good soil? Have we responded to the Gospel and are we bearing fruit? Are we demonstrating a good and noble heart which seeks His Word, comes to understand His Word and smartly applies it in our lives to bear fruit? If that is the case, then we are allowing the Word of God to have the intended effect in our lives. Jesus finished telling this parable crying out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's obvious by the, the soils in that parable and by the, what we read after the parable that not everyone followed that. Not everyone who had the ears to hear actually listened to what Jesus was saying. And that's true today too. Not everyone who hears these messages are going to listen. But what about you? Will you listen to the words of Christ to His parables, to His teachings which show us what the kingdom of God is, how we enter into the kingdom, how we act and live and function within the kingdom, how well will we listen? If we are anything, this morning as we think about those soils, if we see any reflection of ourselves in anything other than the good soil, we need to repent today. We need to make the decision to walk according to the Word of God, knowing His Word, following after Him so that we can be saved. Dear friends and brethren, we have, we have a good opportunity. Not just now. We have a good opportunity at every moment of every day to turn to God. But we don't know how long that opportunity will last. We are not promised. We are not promised where that will lead. And I tell you, sometimes preachers like to end that, that their sermon saying, you know, today is the day of salvation. You don't know that you have tomorrow. But maybe you do. Maybe you have tomorrow. Maybe you have a year from now. Maybe you have a hundred years from now. But if that's the case, think about the impact that you can have on those that you hold closest to you in that time. Think about the impact that you can have on your family on your, your parents and on your children and on your friends that impact lessons every day that we wait. Let's make a decision today to serve God, to come to Him and follow Him. If you would like to do that this morning, to, to learn from His will, to learn what He would desire of you and to be obedient and follow that, I want to, we want to help you to do that. However we can help you, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.